Hey, y'all, I'm going to take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt With Deep podcast. That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field, and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com. Reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithcasey.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast brought to you by Hunt, Lift, Eat official. My name's Carter McKenzie running host tonight uh, with a crew from all over the country. Two of you are close to each other and the other two of us are close to each other. Actually, was with Cole less than 24 hours ago. So uh, I guess first first guest tonight, man, Cole Reed. What's going on, man? Hey, how you doing? Yeah, it's uh, it's only been 24 hours since we've seen each other, which uh Nowadays feels like uh, the longest time in the world. That's right. That's right, man. And uh, Garrett, coming at us from Colorado. How are you, Garrett? Good, man. How you been? We're good. Busy but good. Looking for. Uh, been looking forward to this episode, man. Ever since you kind of spoke it into existence a couple weeks ago. I know. I've been. Uh, I've been pretty excited for this one. This will be. It's uh, a good time of year to go over it. Yeah. Well, I uh, I bailed on you once because I was really hungover. <laughs> uh, celebrated a little too hard at my two-year-old's birthday party. And then I forget what the other times were, but, you know, we're getting after it. We're making it happen. But, yeah, this is going to be applicable to a bunch of people. And then we got uh, the one and only Khalid Bell coming at us from somewhere in Wyoming. What's up, man? I don't know if I'm the only one, but, I mean, I guess if you're looking at the terrorist top ten list in the United States, I might be at least the only <laughs> one on that list. Just kidding. But, uh <laughs> Yeah, I'm up here in Wyoming this week. One of my offices here in Douglas, scouting out some antelope and checking out the, the ground up here rather than hanging out on the Colorado side. So, Garrett, Heck keep yeah, those man. Uh, greasy deer in check for me. Yeah, absolutely. Scouting out antelope is something we definitely want to talk about tonight. Um, so this the conversation tonight kind of got brought up because it's a very uh, applicable portion of the year. Tags are... Tags have been allocated, draws have come out, results have been posted, and you were either fortunate or unfortunate from the tag gods this year. Um, sounds like Colorado may have been a little more difficult for folks, and I know Wyoming reduced tags, and Montana shuffled their non-resident tags in a disaster of a way, I think. Uh, so if you were fortunate enough to draw a tag, first and foremost, congratulations. That's outstanding. Um just before we jump into this, boys, I'm kind of curious. What what tags are we running with this year? Well, also, don't forget, Carter, obviously, congratulations if you drew a tag. Uh, if you didn't drew a tag, that uh, sucks for you. <laughs> I'm just That's kidding. Right. I'm on that list, too. I, uh, I drew a pretty decent uh, Colorado Plains archery tag. Should be nice to be hunting close to home. Do a really good antelope tag for rifle season. I'm not a huge antelope fan, but uh, I really want to tag one with my rifle, and then I'll focus on shooting one with a bow over the next couple of years to try to work towards that big nine in Colorado. I didn't draw an elk tag. You know, that's why I'm a little bitter right now. I don't know if you guys saw that on Instagram the other day. I was a little feisty for the fact that uh, I didn't draw an elk tag, but we'll see how it goes. There's still the, some other chances out here. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm riding mostly the defeat train myself. Um on this year. Um, I did draw my third season buck tag. Um, it's going to be right in the middle of their rut. So that's kind of a good, good little tag to pick up, but it's, it's in a unit that's, uh, we'll just call it popular. Um, and then other than that, I, I didn't, I struck out on everything else and, uh, kind of hoping to just roll with whatever I can find on the leftover list or whatever over the counter stuff I can find here. Well, I was fortunate enough to uh, draw one of those mule deer tags out in Montana. So, Carter, I can't remember what the statistics were with how many points we didn't have uh, and, and applying for that tag. But uh, I remember you you called me. I think you were in the middle of like a track meet or something, and you're like, dude, we drew our tag. And it it is one of the most surprising things ever. 
Uh, so looking forward going out to Montana. Yeah, I, I was pretty surprised we drew that tag too, especially with what they did this year for non-resident tags. They basically forced everybody to burn their points. Um, and f- for some reason, people with zero points had a higher percent chance of drawing a deer tag, a general deer tag than folks with points. Uh, so even though Cole and I had been purchasing preference points for the past two years, which is what Montana typically used to cap it at for non-residents before you have to spend them. Uh, not <laughs> our friends who had zero points who had been ignoring me for two years uh, about purchasing preference points had a 48% chance of drawing this tag. And we had, we went down to a 22% chance of drawing this tag. So I was not hopeful, but uh, you know, we lucked out and we drew this very expensive deer tag in Montana. You might as well go ahead and name drop them just to embarrass them a little bit while we're on here. No need to, no need to leave them out. We know who they are. Yeah. Tim Marsh and John Lippett. Those guys have been ignoring me for two years and it turns out they were the smart ones. So. Cause we, we all had a conversation and we're like, Hey dummies, you didn't get your preference points. And then we recently talked to them. We're like, Hey, you guys have a better chance than us. And we're like, this is such bullshit. Like, well, oh, come on. You gotta be kidding me. Yeah. So that's good. We got a little mix here. We got some resident, we got some non-resident hunting going on. And this, uh, this is going to be really applicable to anybody who is uh, planning on, you know, hunting a coveted tag this season. So you drew a tag. Now what? That is that is our game plan for tonight. Um, so once your tag results come in, that's fantastic. It's all good. And you're waiting for that email uh, or you're waiting for that tag to come in the mail. Um, Colorado still sends their tags in the mail. It's old school. I got my... Uh, small game license this year when I get my preference points there. Um, just kind of nice. It's a nice little touch, Colorado. I like that. Uh, but once you get that and you got your hands on it or you see that email and it says successful, you're riding high. Life is good. And then the wheels start spinning, um, especially from all the way in Georgia, you know, 25 hour drive away. I'm like, Oh boy. All right. Now we got to go find a deer in a state that I've never been to. Um, so, I mean, what's, what's the first, uh, what's the first move here, guys? What is, what do you guys typically go with Garrett and Caleb? I know you guys are a little more experienced hunting out West. So what's y'all's typical first move after you draw? Well, for me, I mean, uh, right now, you know, obviously we found our tags out and we've got a good idea what's going on. We've also got the secondary draw going on in Colorado. Uh, the big thing for me is focusing on e-scouting. It's that time of the year when, yeah, you can get out there and you can still look at fuzzy bucks and fuzzy elk and, and see what's there. But e-scouting is where I spend the majority of my time right now. And when I say majority of my time, I mean like three to four hours a day. When I'm bored and I'm not doing anything, sitting on the couch, watching Netflix, whatever it may be, I'm on Onyx or I'm on Go Hunt or I'm on Eastman Sag Hub. And I am just focusing on areas within my hunting unit that I think are going to hold the most animals. And that's where it gets down to the nitty gritty. Uh, each one of these applications has got a great choice of layers that you can use. Um, and those layers are really what it's going to help you separate your e-scouting game from just about everybody else. Yeah. And just for reference, anybody's not familiar, you know, maybe everybody is e-scouting is just, you know, looking online, electronic scouting for where you're going to be hunting. Um, and there's a lot of different tools that you can use when you're e-scouting and it's really your best weapon like Caleb is talking about before it, before you can put boots on the ground in the area and especially in colonized case if you can't put boots on the ground if we can't get up there in the summer to scout and actually see the terrain which if you can and you can spend the money and you can spend the time that's the way to do it um, instead of showing up blind e-scouting is the next best thing yeah especially now like so by this point, you have a pretty good idea what you're looking for as far as uh, what you're at, like what you applied for. You should have a general knowledge of the unit by that point. This is where you start getting into the nitty gritty, looking for access, looking for like huge plots of land to be able to try to extend your hunt as long as possible. Um, and like really now is like the best time to be looking for campsites if you can put boots on the ground. Why not go spend spend a couple night, nights there in the summer? But like you said, now if you can't make it out there, 
get online, see what campsites are available, see if you need to go stay at a hotel, get a pretty good idea of where where exactly you need to be to make yourself the most successful during your time here hunting. Yeah, I mean, hopefully the tag you draw is not a surprise. Hopefully you have researched thoroughly and you've already looked and started planning. Um, don't be that guy on Facebook. Um, but yeah, as soon as that tag comes in the mail, you should have an idea of what your area looks like, like Garrett just mentioned, um, and then you can start getting after it. Yeah, and to, to keep going on this topic of just e-scouting, um, especially for us who, who can't put boots on the ground, who can't you know fly out to Montana from South Carolina or good old Hartsfield, you know, Jackson International, uh, Carter and I, I know we spend a lot of time sending waypoints to each other. We're just like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And uh, we we try to just bounce these ideas off each other, especially with myself being uh, relatively new to the hunting game. Uh, we like to just pick people's brains and see, hey, what do you think about this spot? Do you know anything about this area over here? Uh, so not only are we kind of just looking, we're e-scouting on our own, but we're also trying to just, you know, uh, pick the minds of others who might have some knowledge of the area or say, hey, we're going after this this uh, species. Uh, what should we be looking for in this region? Well, I think that's exactly where it dives into the e-scouting side of it, right? This is where you guys really need to start looking at the applications that you use. I'm going to talk specifically with Onyx here because the amount of time that you can spend e-scouting and looking through these applications using the right layers is basically just going to help you identify the best place to start when you get your boots on the ground. It's not going to guarantee you're going to find an animal, but you, you have a general idea of animal characteristics, how they move, what they do, and what they're searching for, right? We've all been around the industry. We've all been hunters. Or even for you guys who are new, it's, it's kind of common sense. If you don't like people, well, guess what? Animals are the exact same way. So there's a couple layers on there that you should really identify, especially for Onyx. Um, I like to use the government lands app. So that, that, uh, that layer and the GMU unit and Colorado private lands layer, as well as the roadless area layer, which looks kind of like purple lightning on Onyx. When you start to utilize those items, you can start to dive into the topography of the ground and really just identify those areas that are roadless, uh, that people aren't really going to want to spend the time to go into. If you look at it on a map, especially a topography map, and you see elevation lines and you're like, I don't want to go there, there's probably going to be a deer and elk there. <laughs> and you're going to have to get over that, right? These, these animals aren't stupid. They're not going to be hanging out in a, a hay field that's right next to the side of the road unless it's Estes Park. <laughs> We're not going to get that lucky. So you really want to try to focus on hard topography lines, um, deep draws, canyons, valleys that provide good water, good food, good shelter. And if you can, like I said, get away and off the road as best you can. That's where those uh, those layers on those apps are really going to help you. Yeah, and every every guy on every forum, uh, the post is, you see the same post 50 times a day. It's like, oh, I'm willing to walk miles and blah, 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 and get away from roads. And I'm not a road hunter. And, you know, in my experience, it's not really the case. Every, every dude I've seen out there has been like overweight, uh, and a truck hunter and just like totally not prepared for the game that they've been talking online. The deer unit that, um, in my friend's hunt, it's kind of the same way that everybody looks at us shocked as soon as we start to get out of our trucks. And like, there's a couple from, uh, specifically, I remember last year we, we were starting to clean out a cow that we had shot. And his couple looked at us like, whoa, wow, that's great. Where'd you guys find it? Oh, we only hiked maybe a mile and a half, two miles off the road. And I mean, it, you could have sworn that we slapped the lady's kid, like the way that she looked at us, just like complete shock that we walked that far. And two miles is really nothing. Like at the end of the day, that's, that's a nice little easy morning hike if it needs to be. I think that's a, another por par or portion of this where people fail to realize, too. Um, when you're e-scouting, don't limit yourself to just one section, right? You could have walked right by that two-mile area that you were at. And you could have hunted that entire two-mile area and never taken the time to go beyond that and not find an animal. There's an age-old saying when it comes to hunting and fishing and everything I've learned in life. 
it might be the best looking ground in the world, but if there ain't a deer and an elk in there, you ain't going to kill one. Always have a backup plan, guys. When you're e-scouting, the best thing you can do is have 20, 30 different pinpoints that you want to go check out. And it's okay if you got a short season. Spend a few days up front just driving around, finding those areas. Because when you get on the ground, it might not be what you were thinking it was when you were actually on the, the application. So have a backup plan. Have two backup plans. Hell, have five or six backup plans. There's no such thing as being too overprepared when it comes to trying to find a, a place to hunt. Yeah, to back that up, like my general rule of thumb is um, basically for every day that you plan on hunting, have a backup plan for every day. You may not go through, like, you're out for a 10-day hunt. You may not use all 10 plans, but you have 10 options. Always have a contingency plan. And who knows, maybe 24 hours is enough time to know there's no elk in these woods. Move on. Like, they might be there, but they might be a pretty heavily hunted, heavily hunted, heavily pressured area. So you never know. You got to be able to be able to, you have to be able to move on and be able to adapt with whatever comes your way. Yeah, you really have to. And that's kind of the age old question when it comes to hunting, like, should I move or should I stay? Um, and having those plans uh, should give you the confidence to move on whenever you need to. Um, I won't say where, but Cole and I hunted in a, uh, an easier to draw deer unit last year um, where road hunting was really prevalent. And so our goal was to just get away from the roads. Um, and when we did that, well, I guess first I should say, the places that we had marked on Onyx, whenever we got there and we saw another truck there, we were like confident enough to just move on um, and go to plan B, which is really important. And sometimes it was plan C and sometimes it was plan D. And when we got to the one piece of public that was the most hellacious hike I've ever been on in my entire life, that's where we saw a 300 inch bull and we saw a absolute monster of a mule deer that we were looking for unfortunately didn't get a chance to shoot it but uh old tim sure thought about it he would have blown out john's eardrums but uh he was thinking about it but i mean that's the key you know i know we're we're dogging on road hunting a little bit here and we're talking about getting away and off the roads but i want everybody to understand too road hunting is one of the most underutilized abilities of a hunter you know, typically you see people driving around in dense forest, dense areas, hoping something's going to jump out across the road, shoot it, right? When I think of road hunting, I think of picking trails and roads that put me in remote areas that give me lots of room to glass. I'm not looking a mile away off the road. I'm looking five, six miles away. I'm looking into areas that I have to hike to. So again, you're just preemptively planning. You're, you're picking some of these paths and things that give you the most amount of time to look at what you're looking for and spend time behind the glass to go chase what it is you actually want to chase and, or just find out if you're going to go on a really long bow hike. Yeah, no dog in it here. It's, it's a really effective use. Um, and it's something to have in your toolkit, especially as a non-resident and you go to somewhere and you've never been there before. That's the easiest way to cover a lot of ground. I mean, and you can park, get out, hike, find a ridge, glass and if you don't like it back in the truck move on if you draw a general tag like in montana it's overwhelming how much area you can hunt uh it's like <laughs> it's terrifying frankly i had to limit myself to like one area and be like all right this is it we're not going out of this and it's a massive area like five hours by six hours like it's huge um same thing in wyoming they're region or their general tags are massive regions uh, that can go all the way from the middle of the state to the Montana border and road hunting is what can allow you to cover a lot of area and see the most of that unit and at least be like, Oh, I like this area better. It has a lot more public that ties into ag or, or whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, not dogging it here. Effective tool. Um, just don't be lazy. And Caleb, it sounds terrifying to hunt with you. I'm excited to do it one day, but it also sounds terrifying. I'm telling you right now, everybody that I hunt with loves hunting with me, but they get really mad when the only animal I find is like nine miles away in the middle of the oak brush and you can't tell what it is because all it is is a butt, <laughs> but I'll find it. I, I will find it every time. I'll pass up the, the 180 inch mule deer that's 300 yards from the truck just right off the bluff and I'll find the elk that's six miles away and we're going to go chase that one. I love it. <laughs> 
typically when it comes to e-scouting, the first move I make is I'm marking access points on Onyx. If you don't have Onyx, you need to have it. It's it's not overstatement to say it's life-changing. I use it here at my own house like every day. My neighbor's property, my neighbor's farm went up for sale a couple of weeks ago and you can look up who owns it and find <laughs> find phone numbers and tax records. And I was calling to see what it would cost. Turns out it's $1.4 million. If anybody wants to pool in for some farmland in Georgia, let me know. But the first thing I do is marking access. Where I've never been to Montana. So when we get there, where can I even hunt? What can I access, right? Because access is a massive thing to consider out West, especially when you're talking private and county roads. Uh, some roads can't drive down, right? And uh, that's a big deal. And you don't want ranchers or dudes working oil rigs mad at you. Um, so I'm just marking where can I pull over and hike in. And that gets marked with the little A symbol on Onyx for me. And that is my first move. Yeah, so for access, it's uh, for me, I start looking at trailheads specifically. I start trying to see, am I going to be pulling into a, a trailhead that's like a parking lot that um, somebody uh, recently I'd heard said, like compared to like a Costco parking lot, if you're going to find, uh, you know, like a trailhead that looks like that right out the gate, it's a little discouraging, especially when you're the only one in full camos and a bow that's hopping out of your truck there. So I start looking for like those... Um, kind of those secondary trailheads, kind of stuff that still feeds into main ones to get you a little further back, but something that's maybe if you only see one or two trucks, you're not immediately discouraged right out the gate. Garrett, I love that. But I'll be honest with you, I've pulled up the trailheads and been decked out head to toe camo, rock and roll and ready to go. And then there's the dad wearing the super tight jorts, like all the way up to his areas you don't want to see with his little family and kids running around, I immediately just go back and change and then throw on whatever I can. It's a different type of camouflage. It's adaptive at that point, right? I'm blending in. Usually though, that's when I'm hunting the Denver zoo and then I just poison the corn in my hand and you know, it's great. <laughs> you might want to edit that out. Probably. Yeah. Can't tell a little urban camouflage. There. I think the other thing too, to touch on access points um, and not just access points there's primary things that we all need to survive. And it's the same way with animals, right? So if you're identifying access points, camping sites, um, roads, and areas you want to hunt, the next thing is you need to start looking at, well, what does this animal need to survive? So I'm looking at my access point. I've got my access point, And there's no water within 50 miles of that access point. Where are these animals going to be going? How are they going to get there? And what's their easiest travel route? At that point, you can really start to dive into a little bit more of a specific plan for an area rather than just a general go look. But you do, you need to focus on water, food, and shelter. Um, and then obviously read up a little bit about the animal you're chasing because, you know, a big buck and a big bull, they're not always going to be together. They like generally the same area, but they're not going to be exactly in the same places, right? You hear the classic cliche of, giant mule deer bucks in velvet hanging out in the cliffs. Um, completely different area than where you're going to be hunting a big bull that time, right? So pay attention to those things and really identify that and really start to build your plan. Kind of to go along with that, there's um, like some of those modules are really good to go start going through about this time of year. It's stuff like University of Elk 101, Elk Nut. I, I heard uh, of a new one the other day that uh, Remy Warren and all those guys were putting out called um, outdoor class, I believe. That goes hand in hand with eat scouting in my mind, even no matter whether you're an experienced hunter, no matter if you're a new hunter, that stuff teaches you just general, general knowledge of the animals pretty well in, in a form that like, you know, you can kind of take in as, as the time is allows for you. Garrett, I'm kind of sad. You didn't mention Iguana 101. You know, Dan and I put that all together. Iguanas 101. We're going to go blow dart iguanas. And now I need to get people subscribed to it so I can teach them how to blow dart a dang iguana. You can't right, be named to talk it up a little like bit. That. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to leave an open door there for you to, to plug your, uh, your new outlet there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. And, uh, you know, that's the name of the game and prepping everything that you can beforehand and understanding, like, as a dude from Georgia, understanding how thermals work. You don't want to be figuring out how thermals work when you get to the mountain. Uh, 
you don't want to be identifying whatever north and south facing slopes when you get to your hunting area, right? You want to have all those things identified and have them mapped out so that you can plan accordingly. Um, Something we found really successful for mule deer was looking up where all the ag land was, find these farms and find little pockets of BLM around the ag land that could act as uh, travel corridors when these deer would go to and from because these fields would be packed full of deer uh, every morning, every night, untouchable. And the name of the game was trying to find them on the way to and on the way there. So all those things and, and kind of dissecting your specific, whatever, whatever you're hunting, your, your specific species, um, what they need and, and kind of how they act like Caleb was talking about is, is really, really important. And looking at the whole picture, not just, okay, this is the one block of BLM I can hunt and and that's it. You got to look around and kind of factor that into your game plan. Carter, I'm glad you, you mentioned this. I know it's a little bit of a tangent as compared to what we're really talking about, but for anybody out there listening, learning how wind works is a pivotal point to success in your hunt. I never used to think this, you know, I used to be more of a rifle hunter growing up than one of my good buddies, Quinn Klein, who uh, he's the owner of Incline Productions, the filming company that I'm a part of. He really started teaching me about wind, what it does, how it does, and how it affects, especially during our bow seasons, right? Guys, there's nothing now that I hate more than being on the mountain after hiking, you know, 5,000 feet vertically, seven miles deep to get to the top of a ridge and have the wind in my favor and look down and see somebody walking through the bottom of the valley, blowing everything out because they're not paying attention to their wind. Take the time to understand the wind. It's just going to make you a better hunter in the long run. Um, And then if you do tie that into your e-scouting and then when you actually get out there, you'll notice and understand how the wind changes based on the topography. Uh, Really pay attention to that too. You know, bluffs, valleys, how the wind's going to work in there. Don't just focus on thermals. Focus on it all because the environment's going to change. But if you learn that one piece, there's anything you take away from today. Learning and understanding the wind is going to make you a better hunter tenfold over 100%. And those, you know, woodsman skills and woodsman's craft is always something that everybody can always be sharpening and practicing, especially in the off season. You don't want to get to the field and be lacking, especially if you haven't been practicing. Um, And I guess the last thing I kind of want to say about e-scouting is, well, it's not really e-scouting, but scouting in general. Um, I am not afraid to (laughs) call anybody I know and ask Hey, do you know anything about this? Like I have a, I have a bizarre connection to a big hunter in Montana. Um, my best friend growing up's mom's second cousin is a, is a, uh, smoke jumper in Montana. He's a big firefighter out there and he's an avid hunter. And I mentioned it at Memorial day when I was hanging out with them on the dock and she said, Oh my gosh, I'd love to put you in contact. He'd love to help you. And I was like, sure, I'll call this dude. And I called this dude and he was like, oh my gosh, I am amped to talk to you about mule deer in Montana. Let me help you out however I can. Uh, and so the, those kinds of connections are not, don't, don't sleep on those connections. I'd never been to Montana, so I was willing to ask anybody if they're willing to share any information. And then uh, luckily that worked out, but don't sleep on those connections. Well, I think that it it still goes with scouting, you know, just talking with people, like you said, but I feel like most people want to talk about this kind of stuff. You know, it's like you, you want to share this information with each other. So while it may not be like, hey, go to this specific road and look west, you know, at 7 a.m. or whatever, uh, they can at least like just kind of help you along a little bit. And And I feel like I've had a very fortunate hunting experience so far where people just want to talk about this stuff with each other. Um, you know, and share some information uh, that could just be uh, vital to you, you know, having a successful hunt uh, or just putting you in the right direction. Yeah, especially when you like, when you pull tags that are limited draw, um, people are a lot more willing to talk about it, especially if it's hunts that are like way limited possibly once in a lifetime or at least once in a long time kind of hunts, 
people are a lot more willing to talk to you about that kind of stuff. And they're willing to give information where maybe an over-the-counter unit, it's kind of like, I've found a few spots where I, if I take my friends with me, it's like blindfold them, throw them in the back seat, maybe in the trunk. Like, you know, they're not quite allowed to know exactly where we're going. So either we're driving there in the dark or whatever, but some of these limited dry units, some, sometimes people are a lot more willing to talk about it. I was wondering why I saw a pillowcase full of soap in the background there, Garrett. That makes complete and total sense. You kidnap people and beat them to take them to your hunting spot. I don't know if we can, I'm ever going to hunt with you now. Important kit, uh, kit pieces are definitely like handcuffs and rope, maybe a blindfold. If I get into your car and Rihanna's playing whips and stones way, yeah, I'm running. (laughs) Never coming near your van. If you pull up in the U-Haul van with that plan, never coming near you, man. Running. It's a 71 VW bus, okay? It's pretty trustworthy. (laughs) Does it say free Wi-Fi on the side or free candy or free hunting tips? Uh, Mostly just free hunting tips. Maybe maybe I'll sell some sheds out of that. Free mule deer spots. (laughs) Free sheds. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, for sheds. Yeah, you Westerners get all fired up about your sheds, man. All right, before we move on from e-scouting, everybody good with e-scouting? Cool. Let's talk logistics. Cole, you're the logistic king. You love (laughs) doing the logistics for every trip we go on, man, and I hate it. I hate all – I'm not a detail guy. So walk me through – Kind of what's your what's your process? What things do we need to check off the list and things we need to consider and some things that have been successful for us for from a non-resident point of view before we jump to Garrett and Caleb? Yeah, I, I think I I think I do okay with, with logistics while we, we have some of our, our ups and downs, but uh yeah, it's something I thoroughly enjoy. So like the the first thing, especially for Carter and I, we're we're out of staters. So we have to it's either fly or drive. Pick one of the two. Uh, so we know a buddy, uh, Casey English, who drove through the night, like drove a full day and a full night. Took him like 25 hours to get there. He was going out to Wyoming, and Carter and I said we do not want to drive, uh, no matter what. So we we uh, we elect to fly. Um, so one of the first things I just start doing is just start tracking flights. You know, you can get on Google, get on every single website. Uh, you know, I have American Express, so I look at some of the deals they're throwing out there. I mean, it, it, you just have to take the time to really look at all your options uh, and, and not really rule anything out. So we understand that we're going out there to hunt, so we don't need like first class and Delta to get out there. You know, we'll take a bush plane uh, that doesn't have heat or AC or whatever, you know, like we just, we just want to get out there, whatever the the best option is for us and whatever the fastest is. Definitely be watching flights right now, especially with uh, pilot shortages and stuff like that. Flights are obviously getting canceled. Travel is getting to be a total pain in the neck. Like got to be on top of it. And obviously that's a little closer coming up to the hunt, but um, doesn't hurt to have, like we already talked about plenty of contingency plans. Pro tip on this one right here, and I'm throwing down some serious knowledge so you guys can thank me later. Don't yell at me. Uh, really identify what it is you need out in the mountains and pack that into your pack. Remember, a lot of these places have two free check bags. That's up to 50 pounds. Freeze that meat when you're on your way back and only carry meat back. That's 100 pounds worth of meat. That's an entire boned out mule deer. That is free fly. And then you're just packing everything else on a carry-on in your bag. Really, really dive only into the essentials. Buy all the minimum crap you need out here, wherever you're going, and only pack the essentials. And then next thing you know, you're flying your food free back. No, and that is that is a great day tip. Uh, I'll tell you, Carter and I, we flew southwest uh, out to Denver, and then we, we had driven to uh, our location, our hunting spot. But two free check bags. That, that was huge for us, uh, and that was a, a really good selling point uh, to say, like, hey, uh, yeah, we don't get to choose our seat 
I feel like we have a good chance of sitting next to each other, but like, it's okay. It's only like a three hour flight. We'll be okay. Uh, but 50 pounds, it's, it's so much to carry. Uh, and, and that's, yeah, I mean, you can do so much with that weight. I mean, that's 200 pounds. If you guys are flying like Carter and I, we fly together. You know, yeah, uh, it's just a bitch when your bag doesn't show up in Denver and you have another yeah. location to drive to. Hey, shout out at Southwest for losing Carter's bag. But, yeah, thanks uh, a lot. I was crying in the Chick-fil-A parking lot for <laughs> waiting for another flight to come from Atlanta, hoping my guns were with it. But yeah, apart from flights, what else? What else are we looking at? Cole, I mean, you you had flights booked, dude, you had flights booked before we even drew this tag, which is sweet. Yeah. So I, man, okay. I have a desk job. Uh, so I'll put it out there. I spend a lot of time behind a computer. So I just, I have the time to look, you know, every few hours or every day. Um, but it never hurts to start looking now. Like we, the minute we drew our tag, I think we booked our flights like three days later because, you know, we, we, we saw the prices going into, you know, the, the drawing season and, once we saw our flights at a certain price, we we're like, Hey, I feel comfortable taking this risk. It, it may not be the lowest, but Hey, it's, it's still pretty close to, um, but once, once you have that flight booked and, and you kind of know your, your route to get to your hunting location, I mean, we, we have to get a car and I'll tell you this before we drew the tag, before we booked the flight, I think I had six different car reservations at like four different airports uh, with like different options, depending who is going to be flying with us, how much space do we need? What type of vehicle do we have? What's the weather going to be like? Um, so even before we knew whether we were going, I booked uh, car reservations and just, just getting a truck. I mean, four wheel drive, come on. Uh, you can't not have it. Um, and so as time goes on, even though I booked these cars six months ago, I canceled them all the time. And I rebook at a lower price. So six months ago, I booked our truck, I think, for like 1200 bucks, And now I think we're well below half that price just because I keep researching. I keep looking at different deals. Um, you know, I use rental cars for my company. And so it's like, hey, maybe I have a few free days with Enterprise. I can apply those coupons now. Uh, so it's just constant research and constantly looking at this stuff to get the best bang for your buck. I need to take you on whatever out of state hunt that I go on in the future because uh, this is all like I've, I've almost never hunted out of state unless it's Nebraska or like Oklahoma, like right outside of out of, out of Colorado. So this is this is definitely good knowledge. You probably just start. Dude, he's he's crazy, man. He's like Rain Man. He's got like six different <laughs> trucks booked from all these different Enterprise and Avis and all this stuff, and he's like, all right, I got these. I'm tracking these three flights and like. I'm like, well, hey, I know we're going to get there and I know we're going to have a vehicle. So I'm, I'm good. Hey, shout out to uh, shout out to my mother, Kimberly Reed. She uh, <laughs> she's just like the master of making your dollar go as far as it can. And so growing up, it was just kind of this thing. You know, we we just did a lot of research and and really just trying to make our money go far. Um, so I know my mom doesn't listen to the podcast, but maybe this will change her mind. Uh, she's passing along a lot of good knowledge here. Cole, I've already got you set up and I just applied for the business license. HLI, Hunting Logistics <laughs> Incorporated. Done. Hey, I'll do it. If, if anybody needs help uh, doing this stuff, I logistics is just, it's, it's wildly, uh, it can get complex, but once you really start to narrow things down, uh, I mean, you just go for it. It's, it's such a fun process which I guess now uh, leads into the next point, you know, so we've talked about, Hey, are we flying? Are we driving there? You know, we talked about getting our rental cars. And so uh, Caleb, one of the things you mentioned is bring the bare minimum that you need. So you can save some room for those check bags, especially Southwest, you know, you get the free bags. But one of the things that we Carter and I did was like, we didn't bring, anything that we couldn't really buy at a Walmart when we landed, you know, especially stuff that was just perishable. Uh, so if you're going out of state and you're just like, Hey, what do I do for food? The minute you land, which by the way, Denver airport, there's a Walmart 10 minutes away outside the airport. And that was one of our first stops. We went to the Walmart, we got our water, got our food, 
just enough to get us by, threw it in the truck and went, you know? So it's, it's thinking about the stuff that you need to bring with you, um, you know, just your essentials and then just picking stuff up once you get there. I had actually forgotten about that. That's a really good tip. Cause, uh, one, I have, I don't have a huge respect for Walmart. Uh, so I don't mind, uh, returning all that shit back that you don't use at the end of the trip. Cause fuck Walmart. I think they treat their employees like shit, but so we, we even would buy things that, uh, you know, make you a little more comfortable in camp. We'll buy like camp chairs. We'll buy coolers. We'll and we'll return all that shit. I mean, keep your receipt. We'll return camp chairs that are like covered in gumbo mud from whatever the Wyoming plains. Just shove them down in the. I mean, and then the customer service people they don't give a crap. They're like, eh, whatever. I just work here, man. And I'm like, thank you. I appreciate that. I wish you got paid more, but here is all of our <laughs> unused stuff. Man, I'm just kind of learning all the tips and tricks between that and then previously Luke talking about using a, a U-Haul up in Wyoming <laughs> and like to get out of the wind and use that as a camper. I mean, this is this is like this is great. Yeah, the U-Haul is a good tip, and I have I have morals and ethics when it comes to things in life, but when it comes to Walmart, nothing. Cutthroat, dude. Return it. Return <laughs> it all, and they'll take it. They have to. They don't give a crap. Uh, so if, if there, if that's an option, do it, not a mom and pop store, right? Got to be a little better than that, but Walmart, fuck them. Fuck them. Yeah. So support your local businesses. Um, (laughs) but definitely just remember like there, there are perishable items that you don't need to bring on the plane with you. You know, uh, I think the only food we brought was Kodiak oatmeal. I think that's the only thing we like pre-purchased and like took some in our backpack. Uh, that and like some granola bars that we really wanted just kind of during the day. Um, but Garrett, great point about the U-Haul. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was such a wild concept when Luke said, I towed a U-Haul and I'm sleeping in this thing. Um, but no, it, it kind of leads into the next one. It's like, okay, you know how you're getting there. You kind of know where you're going to be and you have all this equipment. Where are you going to stay? So some people like to stay at hotels. Some people like to stay at Airbnbs. People want to uh, rough it in a tent or a U-Haul, but there are just so many options and you just need to figure out what's best for you. Again, um, no shame in any of them. This year, Carter and I looked for an Airbnb through and through because we said uh, we we would like to have a bed. We'd like to have a hot shower. We'd like to have a place we can cook uh, without having to bring a stove with us. You know, it's just things that just make life more comfortable. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with going out there in a tent, you know, and just having fun. Um but then you just have to put that like in your mind talking about, am I going to buy a tent when I get there and then just leave it behind? Or am I going to take one that I already have, you know, put it into my, my weight uh, with all my check bags. Um, so that's just something uh, between yourself or whoever you're hunting with. Uh, if you have a campsite going on with other people, talk with other people. They may have a four person tent uh, and you can fit more than, you know, two or three people in there. Uh, recently we had a four person tent fit four grown men very comfortably and, and it, it was perfect for all of us. And something that goes along with that, that kind of ties in with what we talked about before we were prepped to spike camp out from our main camp. So I brought a two man tent and we were prepared to go if we, we made this big venture up into the mountains and if it was going to be a good area, we had a tent and some food uh, and stuff, whatever, prepared to spike camp away from camp, which is, I think, a really good point and kind of ties into staying versatile and having backup plans and being able to maneuver and and make the situation more malleable and not just being locked into like one inflexible situation. No, that's a that's a great point, Carter. Uh I see a lot of people that will, like you were just saying, they'll get so honed in on one spot and they're just going to focus on that one spot. And they've got a camp in that one spot. It's really easy to set up a, a larger campground or a larger campsite at one of these trailheads. And if you're a little ambitious, I mean, you could have a, a 30 square mile radius that you just hike out from that base camp and then spike camp out from there. You know, you put a seven mile spike camp out, you've got another seven miles. You can go past that. Now all of a sudden you're 14 miles from your base camp. But it's really not 14 miles, right? It's it's half that. 
Garrett and Caleb, what things do you guys consider when it comes to planning for these hunts logistically from a, I guess, camp point of view? Are you guys, are you guys going backcountry? Do you set up like a nice base camp? Like I'm picturing like wall tent kind of thing. Like how do you decide that and then kind of make that decision? So for me, generally it's, um, me and my friends will set up like with a camper, maybe one or two campers, maybe a wall tent and have a base camp set up from there and then kind of be prepared to spike out from there if we need to. Um, generally we make it all the way back to camp just about every single night, every now and again, a couple of us get ambitious and want to go a few extra miles and just stay there for the night. But generally it's setting up a base camp, kind of have the idea of like big meals with like four or five of us generally at camp. Um, we do bring some like freeze dried stuff, some like backpacking meals, mostly for like lunch and stuff like that, because you never want to come off the mountain for lunch or anything like that. You always want to hunt all day long, be prepared for that and maybe be prepared for three to four days out if you have to. But generally it's a, it's a base camp with spike setup. Yeah, Garrett, we're, we're very similar to the same thing too, where we have a, a base camp established where we keep the majority of all of our gear our trucks, anything that we don't need. But for us though, the, the big thing is we spend those days beforehand setting that up and then identifying where we want to hunt. Very rarely do we spend day after day after day coming back to the base camp. We use that as a gear storage. You know, that's our U-Haul that's parked there with all our crap in it, right? From there, we're, we're basically spike camp. And, and when it comes to that spike camp side of thing, I think the biggest logistics wise thing that I focus on would be my clothing articles. You can never, it's hard to get warmer than it is colder, right? So really focus on the clothing articles that you're bringing, pay attention to what you have there and then meals and nutrition. Uh, I actually set myself up before I start the season, kind of working in towards a caloric deficit. So I get my body used to working hard on lower calories. So that way I'm already prepped going into it. I'm not trying to starve myself when I go out in the mountains, but I'm ready for it, right? I might reduce my caloric intake to, 1500 calories a day and then really watch my macros. And then I plan my hunting meals accordingly. I follow the same concept a week or two before I go hunting all the way in through the back country. And then I never really worry about it. You know, I'm, I'm sufficiently energy su- um, supplied while I'm out there. My body's used to it. I'm ready for it, but food, clothing, um, water, I don't necessarily care about and worry about. Um, I carry filters, you can find a stream anywhere you're at. I use a grail filter. They're great. They're a little press filter. We started using them last year. They're pretty awesome. Um, and then shelter. I try to find a shelter that's under four pounds total setup. Kind of jumping back to that, uh, being able to work on like a caloric deficit, like that month leading up to the hunting season, I kind of start doing a little bit of intermittent fasting where it's like, I only give myself a few hours every day leading into it to like to get whatever food I'm going to get for the day. Because generally you don't want to take a whole lot of time eating throughout the day. You want to be able to stay mobile. You can snack whatever while you're glassing, but you got to kind of get used to that idea of you're not going to be able to carry three square meals a day on your back. Maybe one MRE, two MREs a day, maybe on on like an average and that's i mean that's what mostly me and my buddies are working off of is mres some of those peak refuel meals i mean they have a lot of calories to them but generally it's maybe one one max of two meals a day that we're kind of getting while we're out there uh shout out to peak refuel you know we're not chad mendez but you can definitely hook us up that'd be pretty cool um (laughs) but yeah that's that's right into it garrett those peak refuel meals is dehydrated meals it it's all about focusing on what you can survive on without overdoing it. Pay attention to the weight. I, I used to be the guy that I'd have Skittles and candy and oranges and apples and French toast and cinnamon rolls. I'd have like 15 pounds of food in my backpack for a three-day hike. And I would eat like, you know, a granola bar. <laughs> so it'd completely just be a waste of weight. So I've really focused that month ahead of time to, to dive into the nutrition of what it is that's going to suffice. Uh, fuel my body for the duration of the day and keep me in a good mood and keep me going. I can get my meals down to less than like 1.2 pounds a day. 
Um, those peak refuel meals, you can stretch that out to two meals in a day if you're paying attention to what you're doing. And that's still 600 calories. So that's 300 calories per meal. Uh, it's a, it's a good thing to do ahead of time, especially if you're going to try to jump out there into that backcountry hunt when you've already planned this out. Definitely, definitely cut back on your nutrition and see what your body's capable of. Yeah, you never really want to be back there and, and finally realize, oh, crap, now I'm getting hangry while I'm out here. Because then you are you start losing your, your mindset when you're out hunting. You start getting mentally weak about trying to pursue elk and just start thinking about how, how uncomfortable you are and how, like, all you want to do is go snack on something. But if you come into the season prepared for it and be able to, like, essentially be able to work off of as minimal food as possible and be used to that, you're not going to have those issues of um, just kind of like losing focus a little bit. Well, and the last thing you want is your hunting partner turning into Tom Hakes. The first time one of my buddies grabs a rock and paints it like Wilson because they haven't had a granola bar in seven hours, I'm, I'm probably going to have a come apart. It's going to make great film, but they're never going to live it down, right? <laughs> put him down. He's got mange. I don't know. Just put him down. Yeah. He's, he's done. Put him down. <laughs> Set him down for a nap, give him a snack, and uh, let him do his thing. Ramen is definitely one of those things, too, that I'll, I'll carry a handful of those around because if it's it's just a nice, light, easy snack that you can kind of just pack something in right away and you have a jet boil, an MSR, or whatever, um, it's a quick, quick, easy meal to take care of a, uh, a hungry co- comrade with you. I think we just identified our next uh, Tuesday pro tips, talk about nutrition in the backcountry. I agree. We'll knock it out. That'd be a good one. It's important, right? I mean, and even from a not nutritional point of view, but for still from a food point of view, we have our meals picked out for each night before we get there and have that all squared away. Like we're having spaghetti night on the first night, you know, we'll stop by Walmart or wherever and we'll pick up a couple steaks because we're out with the boys. We're in the back country. Let's cook up some steaks if we can grill or if we can have a fire. Um, and then we're having spaghetti and then we're having you know, whatever brats and, you know, some peppers and onions or something like that. Um, so having all that figured out, you know, prior to getting out there is one less thing that you have to worry about. Never forget the beer, never forget the beer and never forget the whiskey unless you're John Lippet and it gets on top of you a little bit. So, uh, happens to the best of us though. <laughs> That's good, man. All right. What about this? Moving on along. What to do? What are we doing until our our hunt, boys? We're in we're in mid almost no, I guess we're late July or late June now. What are we doing until our hunts? What things do we need to consider? I'm starting to take all my gear out of storage and starting to lay everything out and be like, okay, what was good last year? or at least during the season, what did I like? What did I not like? Do I need to replace something because I tore it up or my socks too old, you know, stuff like that. So I'm starting to go through and, and say, Hey, I had, I had okay gear work. What can I improve? Where can I improve? Uh, and also looking at the weather differences, you know, from where I had hunted or Carter, where we had hunted last year to where we're about to go. What's, what's the weather change? What's the pattern during that season. So do I have the right gear to be somewhat comfortable, you know, not be reckless, you know, but be comfortable out there. Uh, so yeah, right now, I, I guess I could say I'm, I'm doing gear inspection. Throwing it back to my, one of my Tuesday tips. So it kind of goes right with that of like, now's the time to get new gear if you need it. Now's the time to like be testing some of that stuff out. Um, in Colorado right now, it's a great time to get out and do some backcountry fly fishing. So get kind of dial your pack in, like start carrying some of the things you might carry during hunting season. Get used to hiking a lot more, doing some of those like seven or eight mile backpacks in, camp out there for the night, maybe a weekend, then hike all the way back out. That's now is the best time to be doing that as well as just shooting as much as possible. I mean, for me, it's, it's been a, a bit of an archery obsession for the last six years. So shooting my bow has definitely been top on that list of getting, getting out there and shooting just 
I mean, if I can get out every day, that'd be great. But right now it's about five days a week. Garrett, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And it kind of goes back to a saying that I've been taught. The best way to prepare for a hunt or for a hike is to go hunting or go on a hike, right? I know a lot of people that sit there and they tell me, you know, we're going to go seven miles back and they've never even put their pack on and put weight in it. I'm telling you right now, if you are the guy that can do that, hats off to you. I'm spending time right now. Like uh, you guys have seen me on a few of these, our, our team chats, I'm already putting weight in my pack. I'm checking out how I'm going to load my pack, which if it's, it's another overlooked thing, loading your pack properly, there's a lot to it, right? Where your weight distribution's out, left side, right side, back side, it's all going to change your ability to hunt. So this is that time of the year when I really focus on dialing in how my pack's going to be set up. I've already got my gear pretty well squared away. So my pack is the essential thing that I know is going to change my hunt because you're going to have 50 pounds on your back. Any way you look at it, you're going to have 50 pounds on your back at some point in time. And if you're not ready for that, you will hurt yourself and you will not hunt nearly as long, or you're going to face plant it going down the mountain with some milk meat on your back. Hopefully. Yeah. These are about this time of the year is when I start really start, uh, really start ramping up like rucking instead of running necessarily. So getting out, throwing 50 pounds in my hunting pack, basically just carry everything that I'm going to carry for the hunting season and go out for six, seven mile walk, whatever. It doesn't necessarily have to be elevated. That definitely helps, but you got to work with what you can work with. And if you just got seven miles of dirt road, eight miles of dirt road to walk back and forth down, so be it. Get out there and just do it. And uh, like Caleb said, throw 50 pounds on there because realistically at some point you're either going to have 50 or more pounds on your back might as well not be a stranger to at least some of that weight and no sense in hurting yourself early oh, and hopefully you have that weight on your back because that's a good sign that things things have gone well for you and you don't you do not want your toughest day of the year to be when you sling that pack on your back when it's loaded down and you got to get back to camp that you do not want that to be your hardest training day of the year that's a huge mistake that i feel like a lot of people fall in uh, more often than not. I mean, last year on our hunt, the hike we did was, it's no joke, the hardest hike I've ever done in my entire life. And that is not going to happen again. Um, and so your fitness now is the right time. If I mean, sure, you should have started before this. Uh, it never truly stops. But now you should start ramping up and preparing for the elevation, the topography, whatever, wherever you're going to be hunting um, this fall. Now you can get really specific with it now that you have that tag in your pocket. And, you know, this is a really good opportunity to plug, uh, the hunt lifty training programs that we offer on our website. Um, cause they're all fantastic and they're, they cover a wide array of different, um, abilities, capabilities, and goals for a lot of them. So listeners definitely go check them out. I've done three of them. Um, some are more running specific, some are more lifting specific. We have endurance, we have strength. Um, I just started the mountain prep program today. Um, I did day one tier T Y R. Um, and it's a smoker. It was awesome. I'm stoked about it, but I also like to run too. Um, and so tomorrow is a 5k, uh, like a base 5k. Um, and so I'm pumped about that. Um, so we have a ton of different programs for gyms, for home gyms, for, less equipment, um, something that can fit your kind of where, wherever, what your goals are. Um, we have a lot of people in law enforcement and military on our team and use them. And then definitely hunting in the back country is kind of the goal behind all of them. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to getting it, uh, getting to start strength and endurance. I believe that was Madi, if I have it right, correct. Um, yeah, I'm planning on starting that Monday and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Definitely something to get ready for the uh, for this upcoming archery season. Yeah, they're really great programs. Everybody should check them out. We also have a free one on the on the website. Uh, it's a free eight week program. It's kind of an on ramp. Um, if you feel a bit out of shape and not ready for high volume, uh, or you maybe have fallen behind on on your fitness journey, we got a free one. It's awesome. I did it twice last summer. Um, Cause I was up in, I was up in Canada and I had really limited, uh, equipment. Um, so it was perfect for that. So definitely check those out and definitely stay up on your fitness and stick to it for when it's game time, you're going to need it. So when you were in Canada, did they not have like 25 pound maple buckets 
full of maple syrup you could just carry around? Am I just imagining this is not a real thing? You know what? I thought I was going to see moose and moose and polar bears everywhere, and I was sorely disappointed. So, <laughs> no, I actually I was like digging up rocks because it's like in the Canadian Shield in Canada and or in uh, Ontario, and I was like digging up rocks to use for like overhead presses and doing pull ups on trees. Uh, kind of felt like Rocky and when he was prepping to go fight uh fight the Russians in the fourth the fourth round. Sounds like we need to have a resort in Canada and just like the one in Tula, Mexico, instead of being the jungle gym, we're going to make it the Canadian rock gym. That's right. That's right, man. Got to make it work. Yeah. So stay up, stay up on your fitness. And Caleb, I know you've been uh, getting after the rucking recently and you've inspired me. Um, That's something I need to get better at. And, you know, elevation's tough to get really quickly around here. Uh, without some some planning and forethought, but like you said, Garrett, just rocking down the road, getting used to weight on your back, and learning how to pack a pack. Maybe I mean, shoot, add that to the list. We need to talk about that on the next episode too, Caleb. Um, but yeah, that's that's all really important, and, and you learn that by <laughs> making mistakes and then learning how to do it correctly. Yeah, and if you guys are gonna start doing some rucking on the roads and whatnot, I advise that you step off the road. Right. Go into the medians, go into the junk ground. That's where you're going to strengthen up those ankles and, and really start to get a little bit more of a simulation of what you're going to be encountering out in the woods. Uh, it doesn't sound like much, but I'll be honest with you. You walk a mile on the pavement as compared to a mile in the median and you are going to be world of difference. Uh, so that's definitely one thing that it just kind of helps with your training, more focused on what it is you're going to be doing, because ankle strength, knee stability, everything like that's a, a huge factor. Yeah, that's massive. So we're rolling up on an hour here, guys. We, uh, I feel like we've covered a lot of really good intro stuff into drawing a tag and handling what the next steps could and should be, or at least what we do from our points of view. Um, we want to go around the horn and hit us with some, uh, closing thoughts here. Garrett, you want to start us off, man? Yeah, absolutely. Some, I mean, really just, Right now, spend as much time as you can on Onyx, Google Earth, Go Hunt, Gaia, whatever whatever app you you like the most. Spend your time on it, and I mean, really, just dial in those those contingency plans that you're kind of you're thinking for this year. Because the more plans you have, the more confident you are going through this season. Yeah, I love that, man. Caleb, what kind of wisdom you got for us? I mean, at this point in time, you know, everybody's got that tag in their pocket, which is exciting. You're looking forward to what's coming up, but it's important to remember that nobody plans to fail, but we all fail to plan, right? Your success this fall is going to be made or or broken right now. It's that preparation for what's upcoming and how you're going to handle it that's really going to change your success. You'll go from a 10% success rate to a 90% success rate. Now is the time to dial it in, figure it out, do the work, and give yourself the best chance you can. You've already got the tag. At this point, you're 50% of the way there. Now it's all just mental preparation and and being ready for what you're about to encounter. Cole, what are you thinking, man? Yeah, and hearing those two, and just talking with you guys, uh, really makes me think. Um, I I guess the last point I would really mention is uh, don't be afraid to ask questions. If you're unsure about something, uh, whether it's prep or, uh, you know, e-scouting or what type of pack should I bring or what what works best out in the field, uh, I, I think my suggestion or what I'm thinking or takeaway, uh, ask questions. There, there's a number of people out there that are willing to talk and want to share that information. Uh, even if it's just helping you along on, on your prep uh, to get out there in the field. Yeah, I love that, man. And I'll just close with, uh, fuck, what was I going to say? It was profound. Don't oh, yeah, yeah. bring a ruck on the side of the road. <laughs> yeah. Rule number one. Yeah, I'll just close with, uh, you know, take that tag, go out there and hunt it however you want legally. Uh, hunt however the hell you want and uh, enjoy it. I mean, that's that's the name of the game for all of this. Um, use this time to prep and then go have the hunt that you want, man. Uh, like Cole said, ask questions, um, which kind of 
I guess, brings us to how we're going to round this thing out. I know you can message any one of these three guys here. Um, any questions you got. Um, so Caleb, where can people find you on Instagram? Yeah, guys, if you have any questions, uh, go ahead and shoot me over a message at Caleb bell Four, all one word. Uh, and then the number four at the end of it, when you guys are bored and you want to check out the other team that I'm a part of incline productions, you can check us out on incline underscore productions. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel and then we've got a Instagram channel and uh, just a bunch of other stuff too. Got some pretty exciting hunts coming out. So should be fun. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I love following that page. You guys post some awesome content and getting me really fired up for the fall. Garrett, where can folks find you, man? It is Garrett Carver 21. Two R's, two T's and C-A-R-V-E-R. Heck yeah. If you want a, uh, experienced Colorado Western hunter, hit him up. Cole, where can folks find you, man? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Cole underscore Reed, R-I-E-D. Uh, like Carter said, I'm, I'm open to to all questions, uh, but also I kind of want to call out if anybody is a new hunter and they're listening to this podcast and you are just nervous about asking questions because someone may seem like they're they're just like this hardcore person or whatever, like reach out to me. I, I still consider myself a new hunter. Uh, sometimes reaching out to other people is nerve wracking, especially when you don't know the, the knowledge and the terminology uh, that goes into hunting. Um, but, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I may not have all the answers, but I definitely know the people who do. Awesome. I love that, man. Hunters supporting other hunters. That's what we're talking about. Um, yeah, I guess that kind of wraps us up here, guys. Garrett, shout out to you for making this happen. I love it. This is awesome. Let's keep making stuff like this happen. Yeah, man. It's getting me stoked for, uh, this fall. Maybe we should talk about leftover tags in the second draw here soon. Yeah, we have that coming up here in just a couple weeks for second draw here in Colorado and then leftovers, I believe will be August 3rd. So. All right, let's do it. Too easy. Caleb, thanks for joining us on the road, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course, guys. Anytime. Always a pleasure. It's always good hanging out with good friends, good people, talking about good stuff, not talking about pooping on the side of the road while you're doing a ruck. You know, just <laughs> it's good stuff that we can always have good conversations about. So Happens to the best of us, man. Listeners, we appreciate the holiday, guys. Be sure to go follow Hunt, Lift, Eat at Hunt, Lift, Eat Official on Instagram. And we will talk to you guys next week.